0: If we just start the show with that, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. oh, oh, god, this is so good. Oh, those bakeries—they really get it. They get it right. Oh, they are on point. Mm. Why not? <laughs> Why, not? <laughs> Why not? I like that. What am I, the queen? We could start with me chewing on a croissant.
1: What a, it. <laughs> What am I, the queen?
0: <laughs> what a a man can't eat a chocolate croissant. What's, <laughs> what am I, the queen? It's uh, comics, man. <laughs> you know what, and on that
1: note, hi everybody and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a, we're not going to do a cold open? No, why, why? The chocolate song <laughs> is fine. I wanted to hear that cold open. And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and the smooth cartoonist of Evil Inc.
0: And I'm Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And our very special guest this week, hailing all the way from, I think, Bellevue, Washington, right? Is that where it is? Or Seattle, no, Washington? Um,
2: yeah, I'm just north of Seattle, Mill Creek, Washington.
0: Oh, nice. Ah, very cool. Uh, Kazu Kibuishi, um, you know him from a billion things. And uh, I'll go through the list because I am excited as heck to talk comics with you. So working backwards from your career, and you can tell me if I miss anything here. So you know him probably from the New York Times best-selling series from Scholastic called
1: Amulet, which are huge hits in Brad and my houses. Oh, we're going to be such heroes for talking to you today. You got to realize this—we get to go back to our kids. Yeah, we're getting be... we're getting major dad points for this one.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then you uh, you also know him from I think it was in 2013 the beautiful Harry Potter covers for the whole big beautiful box set that you did. Mm. Uh, was that 2013? That was around there, right? Um, 2012. Uh, or that's that, yeah.
2: 2012.
0: 2012. All that's right, 12. Dave Kellett, big on facts.
2: Today, that's good. (laughs) Well, I think it may did it. Did it come out in twenty thirteen? I think end of twenty twelve. I worked on those at the start of that year.
0: Um, uh, they came out beautiful, regardless. And then before that, uh, he was the editor and one of the creators in the beautiful comics anthology series Flight, which was one of my favorite things uh, I've ever seen. And then even before that, a project that I first met him at at UCLA somewhere in the early two thousands. Two web based and self published projects: Daisy Cutter and Copper. Uh, and then, even before that, he was a film study student at UCSB, and a huge basketball fan, and a comics nerd, and a movie nerd. And uh, I think he's absolutely fantastic. Kazu, thank you for being on the show today, man.
2: Well, thanks for having me here. This is uh, this is going to be fun, I think.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, hes- the hesitancy as we put yeah. your chocolate croissant on the air.
2: Yes. I have one more chocolate croissant. If you want me to eat it, I can. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> give the give I'm the people right what they want. That's what I say. <laughs> okay. Well. Hey, well, so when I'm be- well
2: fed, then, you know, the, the, I, I give better answers. So. The, oh, sorry. That's Good.
0: right. That's right. It's a it's a basic sustenance thing. So, mm-hmm. um, the the one that that Brad and I wanted to jump in first with you because I think it's super exciting and unique is that, uh, and you can correct me as to the setup of your studio setup currently, but. Mm -hmm. in general when you're working on amlet you have one full-time assistant and Mm -hmm. and co-crew a a colorist that works with you jason Mm -hmm. Um, and then as far as i remember there are a couple satellite folks that come in either through teleconferencing or dropbox or sometimes they're in the studio so you really are maintaining as the book goes through a group of uh two three sometimes four people working on the book is that right do i have that right yeah, um on amulet
2: 8 I I think we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 7 or 8 people. Um wow. Uh, so we um yeah, it was it was just necessary towards the end. Um we had to call in a lot of help um because it was it was getting really tight um and we had just uh, Jason was overwhelmed with with the work. Mm-hmm. Um and so uh, typically though I have Jason working uh throughout the year to develop content for the background paintings um, and just getting ready for the production mm-hmm. for the most part throughout the year. This is where we're at right now for Amulet 9. Uh, and he's like the only full-time person other than myself. Um, then we, we send out pages to be flatted throughout the year. When I'm done drawing a page, I will upload it uh, to our site and, um, uh, or to our server and assistance around the world can pick, pick them up whenever they want. I have a Google spreadsheet that I use uh, for people to sign up. And when new pages go up, they can go sign up for it. They download it. They do the page, send it back. We If we have notes, we'll give them notes, and then we'll color it from there. There's there's that part of the process. Um, and towards the end of this, uh, this latest book, we had to bring in a whole bunch of people to come in. And maybe the last two or three weeks to, to paint the book. Cause we still, I think in the last week and a half, we painted half the book.
0: Wow. Oh, biscuits. Yeah. It was wow. like
2: two weeks, two weeks. I, I paint, I think I painted, I painted like 50 pages myself. So, so yeah, it was, um it was, it was, it was, we, we were pretty far behind on this one. um You know, but life intervenes and you know, we, we, you know, that's, that's just the nature, nature of the game,
0: but also as we, as we learn from Jurassic Park, life finds a way. So, uh. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I, you know, <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I, I, sort of equate it to like being in the fourth quarter <laughs> in a game or something. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, if you, if you know your stuff, um, you'll get through. If it's production, it's not so bad. When I have to rush on the writing, that's when I, will I'll put the brakes on the whole thing. Yeah, um, Am- Amulet Eight was supposed to be done um, a year earlier. Um, it, it should, we should have been talking about this about a year ago, but I, I held off on moving forward. I, I didn't think it was ready. So, um, I just, I had to take a br- big break. Um, I went back and reworked a whole bunch of stuff, um, and found, found the book, um, you know, in the second
1: half. Now, when you have to go to your publisher and this is uh, published through Scholastic, correct? Mm-hmm. When you have to go to your contact person there, I would imagine an editor of some sort, and you've got to say, listen, this story isn't there yet. How does that conversation go?
2: Well, um, it's not what they want to hear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, But I've been doing this long enough and I've been working with them long enough that I think they understand to, when, when, I, when I sincerely say I can't do this, um, they, you know, they'll 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 just make time for it. Yeah. it it gets it gets hairy when you know we're towards the end and we've committed two final deadlines for scheduling and things like that those things can't they're they're sometimes immovable dates you yeah know? And, that, and that's like towards the uh, towards the end of production in in the case of amulet eight we had we had an immovable date there there was one you know oh, um right. and it was it was quite difficult to try to hit it
0: and that's that's mainly because not only are presses waiting to print, there's shipping windows, there's distribution windows, there's pre-published advertising already. Exactly. The yeah. Stone, mm-hmm. that. yeah. Yeah. yep Yeah. So, um, you know, as long as you can,
2: if you have to, you know, put the project aside for a little bit and take a bit of a break, as long as they know long um, far enough ahead of time, it, it, it's you know, it's it's possible. Like you can sure. you can you can work around it, and you're not hurting you know, the, the, the whole operation, but uh, yeah, it, with the amulet eight, we were toward, and towards the end, we were having a hard time trying to finish the book. Um, and, um, and, and, and we had to hit an immo- immovable date.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I imagine that specific moment was both mentally and physically and emotionally re- exhausting, but in general, do mm-hmm. you find working both with Jason and with the upwards of eight people, do you find interacting with other artists at the end of the day for you on the project do you find that emotionally energizing or emotionally draining the day-to-day mm-hmm. well yeah like the the inter like if 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 in an ideal world for you would you prefer to be in a studio type environment or would you prefer to be flying solo or uh, i guess what i'm getting at is does the nature of the product require project require uh, other people in such a way that it forces it on you or do you actively love as an artist working with other artists Oh, um,
2: I, I love working with other artists. Um, I, you know, I, I was in the film industry. I loved it. You know, um, I, I worked at, I worked in all sorts of fields, including architecture. Um, I love working in a group environment. I love working on flight, um, all that stuff. But at the same time, I also love being a dad, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you, you know, and, and that, that comes first. Um, my family always comes first. Right. Um, and being a comic artist allows me that flexibility. And that's important to me. I may, I make, make less than in another career path, but I make enough, you know, for us to get through. And, um, I, you know, it's, it, it works for me, you know, so I don't, I don't know. I'm, I work, I, I adjust my work process to the environment that I'm in. Right. You know, I, I don't try to make the world change to, to the way I do things. Um, I, I, I find that that approach, um, uh, I don't know, that doesn't come together very well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 because then you start getting um, um, upset about things not going your way, you know, and, you know, if, if you go into a situation expecting things not to go your way, you,
1: you won't be as upset
2: when, when things start falling <laughs> apart.
1: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, what I wanted to know was, was it, no, knowing that this new book is coming up. Uh, it, it does, at some point, are there uh, at times where Scholastic is going to say, "Now, listen, we need you to hit social media really hard in this upcoming month," or 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 it, do they put uh, a, a schedule in front of you and say, "Okay, well, you've got to travel to this place and that place and this place to start promoting that book"? How, how what what kind of impetus is put on you to promote that book socially and in person?
2: I think it's as much pressure as I want to put on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I do put a lot of pressure on myself, but I also, um, I don't, I don't do as much traveling as I, I think a lot of, um, the top level authors do. Um, I I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I can't be away too long from my family. Uh 'cause cause like I said, all the, you know, the home life stuff that, that comes first. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. Scholastic really doesn't put that much pressure on me. They've been They've just been really kind. Uh, They, you know, they'll do the best they can. I think in some sense, you know, I mean, we, I just feel like we're on a team, (laughs) you know, and they're asking me for things that I need. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm generally not asking too much from them. I'm just, you know, preparing to, to do the work. I think that that's enough. I think that's, that's helping them a lot. If I finish the book as close to being on time as possible. Um, and, uh, and I'm being on the road and doing as much self-promotion as I, I can. I think that's helping them, but yeah, we're, we're doing, we're in the process of promoting the books. This is the fun part, mm-hmm. you know, We're <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I don't think there's no pushing. I mean, they, they suggest like, you're want to you try this or try that, but for the most part, it's, it's more like. Hey, look, we got this thing for you. We got, we got a, um, interview on this, um, this, uh, website or that website or this magazine. Um, you, you know, did you want to do this? Would you be interested? Uh, and, and, and I, you know, either say yes, or, I mean, I almost always say yes, if they, they have something for me to do. And, uh, and that's it. I mean, it's not, um, no, it's not really a high pressure situation. It was, it was a lot different when I was working on Harry Potter because that, that, um, you know, amulet has become a big thing, I think. But with Harry Potter, it's it, you know, for Scholastic, that's their baby. You know, <laughs> so it's a that's big beast. Yeah, that's a big thing. So um, I, I had a lot of preparation to to be a part of that. That they actually, you know, sat down with me and talked to me about preparing to promote it and what what that might entail, the kinds of things I may experience and uh, and just to be just to be ready i'm for imagining
0: it. this pre-meeting of like all right now there's gonna be some fans and when we say fans we mean people that will want locks of hair
2: <laughs> yeah and you know the harry potter fans were were amazing you know they're yeah. they, they were the best they're they're so kind and so polite um yeah it's it, it was it was not a problem at all but but being on message as far as like um, what I'm going to say about the project, things like that, you know, they, they wanted to make sure that I was sort of on board with all that. Um, with Amulet, it's they, they don't do that with me. It's they're you know, they, they leave me be. I'm the author. It's my thing. We just it, I don't know. It, I, I, I don't even think about all that stuff. <laughs> i mean I, I i i try to promote well
0: but they didn't they didn't give you a, a basically a big contractual checklist of all the things with amulet like you had with harry potter i'm assuming with harry potter you probably had to agree to x amount of appearances and x amount of like prepared statements or interviews kind of a thing but with this one they're they're more mm, free
2: i don't remember if i had to do that oh, okay um
0: i yeah i mean they they asked me if i would do all those things and uh i said okay well, the, the nice thing for you, public speaking-wise, because I, I the last time I saw you give a talk, I think, was at Ohio State. And this, I don't know if you remember this one. This mm-hmm. was when they were opening up uh, the new museum there. Um, mm-hmm. And you gave a wonderful talk that I think uh, you do on other loca- uh, occasions, which is basically a public painting while you're talking. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine how magical that must be for a seven, eight, nine, 10 year old, because for me as an adult and as a friend, I was like, this is magical. It was just delightful to watch you work because it's, it's so different from the way that I work. Um, mm-hmm. and I was wondering if you could take a second, just describe how you do public speaking for kids, uh, as you do a paint and talk process. Yeah. Well, it begins with
2: uh, sort of a Ted talk, right? It's about, um, perseverance about not giving up. Um, my, my career has been full of situations where things really did not work for me and I would find myself in this hole and I'd have to sit there and just think, okay, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to sit and look at my toes and do nothing? Am I just going to feel bad about, about this? Um, and usually I just, you know, eventually, you know, after Sleeping or thinking about it for a bit, I just get up and then get back to it and and do the do the project again. Things that when things don't work out, so I do a talk about that, about just going back and doing this thing, and, and if that doesn't work, then try something else. And then and then towards the end, I I will do a Q and A. But while I'm answering questions, I'm painting live. For the kids, So I, uh, cause I imagine that, um, there's going to be, um, a small group of kids in, in that are not interested <laughs> what's going on, um, yeah. because they need a little bit more of a visual stimulus. You know, so if I sit there and just answer questions, um, for individual fans, I, I don't know if, um, those kids would be as entertained. So when I paint, I just, I'm giving all the kids who are, who are daydreaming a place to, to, to go you know, and I'm also sort of daydreaming and painting and landscape. And so what I do is I, I set up the computer. Um, uh, it's hooked up to the the projector and I just open Photoshop and I just go in and do a landscape painting most of the time, uh, unless somebody wants me to do a very specific thing, like a spaceship or something like that. I'll go ahead and do that. And uh, yeah, i imagine as a kid, I I, I would have thought that was magical. And I probably would have wanted to be a comic artist if I saw that.
0: It, it really is. It's, it's so lovely in the sense that I, knowing the, the tools you're using in Photoshop, knowing how you're doing it, I'm still like, what an entrancing talk this is. I'm, entran- I'm a grown man and I'm entranced.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> go back just for a minute because this has been a theme on this podcast uh, where we talk about uh, it's, okay to, uh, it's okay to get to a point where you're like, oh, I've hit a dead end. Uh, we, we get so wrapped up in failure that we forget that it's during those times that we learn the most. So get, yeah. take, take me back. You mentioned things that did not work. Take me back to one of those instances where you found yourself just it, things are not working out. What what was that point and how did you overcome it?
2: Yeah. So my website is BoltCity.com, right? My company mm-hmm. is Bolt City Productions. And people know me as Bolt City Online. Um, Bolt City um, was my first massive failure. Uh, it was actually the title of my student film. Uh, it was an animated film I had worked on for about two years, um, going into senior year in college. It was I anticipated it to be. Uh, my entry into the world of animation that I was going to get a directing job and get a feature for it. Because I mean, a lot of people thought that um, that uh, this was going to win a student Academy award. This is going to be some big, big deal. Every time anybody saw little bits of it, they were so excited. Um, One night I came home um, from my job at the newspaper. I was illustrating editorial cartoons uh, for the daily Nexus, Um, come home around 10 o'clock and I'd start animating it, but till five in the morning. And I did that every day of my junior senior year of college. Um, and towards the end of, uh, my senior year, uh, and I'm still like maybe uh, only halfway done with this thing. Uh, I come home and I no- notice that someone had broken into my apartment <gasps> and, uh, stole, um, my computer, my hard drives. Um, just everything that had the film on it. Oh, no. And it just basically um, vaporized. Oh, And uh, and that was like my ticket out. You know, that's what I felt yeah. at the time. I'd worked so hard on this thing. Um, a part of it, I, the whole time, though, I really didn't want to make it. I felt like I was doing it for my career. I felt like I was doing it for my professor who was into animation and he wanted me to animate. I had no interest in animating at the time. Oh. Uh, I, just want, I just knew I would need a job because... I would have to, um, then the next thing was I would have to take care of my parents after college. I knew that was coming. Um, in fact, it was right around that time I got a phone call from my mom and she told me something that I had suspected, just that my dad had lost his job a number of months prior Mm -hmm. and, um, and that I would have to go get a job so that they could, that could support them, you know, and that they would no longer be able to help me with my college, which I, I anticipated all this happening. So it wasn't a surprise. But to have all that happen after having lost the one thing I had, you, you know, in my corner yeah. to uh, help yeah. me.
1: And this was before uploading everything to the cloud and and all like that. When when they carted oh, that, that, that hardware exist. out of your apartment, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. For 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 the younger people, the, you, I'm talking about. This is in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
2: I you know I built my own computer. Oh. Um, you know I was using I, I was. I was forcing Premiere, Adobe Premiere, in its early incarnation, to do things that it normally doesn't do. Yeah, um, for my animated film, and um, it wasn't considered uh, an editing program like uh, like a, a, a pro, a pro level editing program that some people do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very much for the consumer, um, and yeah, I, I I learned a lot in the process of it. But when I saw that um, I, it would take too long to finish it. Um, I decided I have to put that aside. That's just not going to happen. Um, and uh, I, after I graduated from college, I went and just took the first job I can get. Uh, and it was as a graphic designer. And so I did that for a number of years.
0: Wow, I've never heard that story. Uh, that Oh,
2: yeah, I've got plenty of like
1: that.
0: Absolutely <laughs> breaks my heart,
1: though. So there's no version of this that exists anywhere, this early uh, Bolt City animation. Just some small... Um,
2: Mov like QuickTime files that I have. I have a yeah. couple. Yeah. Oh Honestly, my god. Honestly, and, and knowing film production, I know how much like more work there was to be done than I anticipated, because the whole project was was at the time just becoming much much bigger than I thought it would be. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, that that whole time. So in so, in some sense, um, when it was stolen, I felt a, a quite a bit of relief though too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because like you were saying, you were doing this for your professor. You were doing this because you felt you needed to. For career stuff, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now this is taken right out of your hands. So mm-hmm. now, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in, in the mm-hmm. negative zone here, but I'm fascinated. I, so now you become a graphic artist, mm-hmm. and you're helping to support your parents, right?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. I was sending everything, like almost everything I made, just enough for me to live on. Uh, I kept, you know, in my bank account just to feed myself um, and uh,
1: sending the rest of it to pay for my parents' mortgage. Okay. What's the next step? Now you've, at some point, I, I'm, have you started doing web comics yet at this point? Uh, no, no, no. I, um, so I was just working corporate. I was, I was, I actually started
2: working on Amulet around that time, just, you know, um, in, in college. So it's, yeah. it's old. Um, oh, wow. And I, I gave it a try and it was just too hard. Uh, yeah. I just thought comics, even if I made a living doing it, I don't know if it would be worth this much, um, this much um, energy <laughs> yeah. to do it. I, you know, I, like if just a few people read it, I just thought, oh, I don't know. You know, it would be quite an endeavor to become a good graphic novel. That's how I felt at the time. And graphic mm-hmm. novels didn't really exist in, in like, um, like a mainstream sense at the time. Not like so, they do now. That's for sure. Yeah. E- yeah, yeah. So, you know, in a late nineties, I'm just thinking, well, if I do this, I'd have to also invent it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, the only person I, 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 I saw doing something, um, that looked like a new platform was Jeff Smith, you know, with, with bone, mm-hmm. I just felt like, okay, that maybe, maybe it can be done that way and And so, I really looked up to Jeff at the time um and I still do, of course he's
1: one of my big heroes, so how do you get out of the hole you're you're st- how do you get out of that um <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. dying over here. <laughs> What's Brad do you, closure <laughs> on this? I, I, really, <laughs> I really do. I'm over here. My heart's just aching. How do you, how, how do you turn the corner on that? Because I'm uh, telling you why I'm telling you what, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people listening to this show right now that are exactly in that spot in their lives. They're, yep. they're mm-hmm. in that hole. And so I want to know how you got out.
2: Yeah. So I, um, so I was working in corporate, uh, as a graphic designer, um, for a short time, I, I started on a, a web startup that paid very well in, in Santa Barbara.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And when that, uh, when that startup, um, folded, uh, I, I got a job at an architecture firm in downtown Los Angeles. So then I was working in LA and this around this, at this time I was still supporting my parents.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: no. Know, and then my, at that, I think that year my brother graduated and he started working as an engineer. And so he was able to take some of that load. Yeah. So actually behind the scenes of every success that I've had, you can, you you can find my brother there. My little brother's always been there.
1: Wow.
2: Um, And so that's, that's a key. That's one of the big key things to, to to all of this working is that he's always been there to catch me when he, I needed him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, that's
1: what brothers do, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, hopefully, I think in my case, yes. You know, he's, you know, you know, aside from my wife, he's my, he's my next best friend, you know? Yeah. So it was 9-11 in 2001, mm-hmm. uh, when the towers went down, um, I, I, I was working in, in a, in a tower in downtown Los Angeles. Um, there was supposed to, I think one of the planes was supposed to go to LA. So I actually even called my friend, um, to get out of the building cause he had no idea what was going on, um, that morning. And uh, it was, um, it was intense. You know, I went to, to work the next, uh, I think that, that week, um, and. So what was happening was I was being promoted into a nice job as a graphic designer for the architecture firm. Looked like a career, basically right in front of me. Yeah, Wonderful people, a dream job, really like probably the best job you can imagine working for the nicest people. Everybody was great and you got to work on great projects. You got paid well, um, you know, and it, it just looked, looked like a dream, but I felt like it wasn't what I should be doing mm-hmm. in, on this world, in this world, <laughs> you know, right. I, yeah. I've been, cause I, I have been, it, it was hard to s- explain to somebody like I've spent all my life uh, drawing cartoons and as, as, um, as worthless as it may seem to other people, I know there's value in this somewhere <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I have, I have to stick with it and I, I can't explain it co- correctly. Like why that is, um, understanding comics by Scott McLeod actually helped me, be able to explain it to some people, the value and worth of a comic book. Um, But, um, but yeah, I was in in a tough place, but I, 9-11 happens. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I could sit here in a corporate job and just try to make a living or I can do the thing that I think I should be doing because I could probably be one of the best to ever do it. Mm -hmm. I should go do that. (laughs) And so from then on, every decision, every decision, difficult decision that came my way became a little bit easier for me because I knew that I had to stick with comics. So when Jeff Smith asked me to do the bone movie,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, I I was intrigued and I had to really think about it because that was my dream project. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to do that really badly. And I, I had been tracking it since I was in college, um, the, the project and when it was at Nickelodeon and and all that stuff. And I, I thought I, 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 thought I could be the one to, to be able to show it up on the screen. Um, and, uh, and, and when that came about, I realized that it was more important for me to work on something like bone, the book that we should have more of that yeah. out in the world than a, a, a bone movie, which would be great. I mean, they're, they're still going to make the movie, I think, but, um, I felt like somebody else, there are some talented directors out there just waiting in the wings. There's just tons of talent all over the place. And uh, I felt like there wasn't anybody lining up to do a graphic novel. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, you know, I should I should continue with this. And this is around the time I was working on Amulet, too. I was still not making a living off of Amulet. You know, it was it was a difficult decision, but it was easier to make because of what what happened prior. You know,
0: as I remember that period where and I I remember admiring you at the time because the conversations we had. You knew that this was a long-term play. That the and play is not mm-hmm. the right word, but you know what I'm getting at was mm-hmm. that you were like, no this this is not going to make money year one. May not make money year two. Might start making money year three. But really, the the joy of this process will also uh, result in uh in, in a payday that's significant in years four, five, six, seven, eight. And you were right. You gave you gave yourself mm-hmm. the time to years, frankly, to to make it work. And that's so admirable because it's such a great delay of satisfaction for a yeah. project of huge scope.
1: Hmm. Well, that's what that's what I wanted to point out too, Dave is is uh, especially to our listeners. You, you talk about uh, persistence uh, when you're mm-hmm. when you're doing some of these public talks. Uh, the thing to point out here is that at some point you had to step away from that goal while you went into corporate and you were a graphic designer and you were working these different jobs. The, 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 the dream never died, but you had to step away from it because you had other priorities. It wasn't until you had gotten to a point where you had those basic needs met that you decided, okay, now I'm going to go back and take another swing at this dream. Because I I think what happened, the danger is people hear uh, people talk about never give up on your dreams, never give up on your dreams. And they're like, okay I'm going to be a cartoonist. Somebody can be a cartoonist. They're not paying their bills. They're getting deeper into debt. And they're like, no, no, I've been told not to give up on my dreams. And the real Key to persistence is what you just got done talking about, <laughs> which is I still got this thing. It's still something I'm working on, but I'm going to meet these basic needs with a day job first, right? Y-
2: yes and no. I w- I was quite committed to this. So um mm-hmm. when I when I started on Amulet um for real, <laughs> um it was after I'd uh, I'd been working for about two years as a creative director in an animation studio. So I had saved up maybe about, um, just an 10 to 12,000 in the bank, just, just on the side for me to work on a small project. Um, and then, um, flight sort of came together in my free time and I realized that it was basically sucking me into comics at the time because I needed to, I I needed, I needed to see that project through. I, I, I felt like it was, um, like I couldn't let those artists down. Mm-hmm. Right. And even though it would cost me a lot to, to get it, get it made, um, thankfully image stepped in to, you know, handle the printing. You know, I, I just I really had no choice there. <laughs> you know, uh, I had to quit my job. <laughs> I ended up having to quit my job when, um, my coworkers, uh, confronted me about it and said, um, you know, we'd like your company partner. We'd like you to either be here all the time and, or, you know, or if you're going to do comics, you should go do that. And mm-hmm. so I said, okay, I'll, I guess I'll do that. I got to go do comics. <laughs>
0: <Wow>. <laughs> let, me, let me switch gears for a second and ask an art question because uh, as someone who's working on a long-form story myself now, I, I find this sort of interesting. When you first started to seriously work on Amulet in terms of character designs or the world or even designing the Amulet itself, did you ever have a thought in the back of your head of like, whatever I go with, I'm stuck for the next decade or 15 years in terms of design? Um, no. Do you know what I mean by that? Like there's some, there's some elements that like, Hey, if they're, if they're in a ship for the next 15 pages, this is, <laughs> I can have as much fun with it as I want. Cause it's only for 15 pages. But when you're designing a character that even at that point, I think the books were going to be seven, I think a series of seven or maybe six. I, I don't remember originally, but, um, you knew you were in for this for many, many pages and was there any hesitation was it excitement was it was it uh, a little more effort a little less effort because the joy was there what was that process of designing those elements in the story that you knew you would be drawing for hundreds and hundreds of pages
2: um well i try not to think about the hundreds and hundreds of pages
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's fair enough fair enough
2: um but um yeah actually with my designs i actually spend very little time doing it um it's funny. I, I did. I used to. I used to do character design and concept art and everything like that in the film industry. Um, you know, and I spent more time on those things than I do on things in Amulet. Um, partly because I, I feel like I don't know. Um, you know, if a div- design's pro- going to work properly until I see the story. So you know, for example, you know, if I'm going to draw a particular character, um, I, I and. I see that that character is going to be viewed at certain angles a lot or that, you know, uh, then I will, I will design that character to to look good and feel good to draw and those types of angles, you know, somebody who's like moving quickly, you don't want it to be too round, you know, right. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, cause it doesn't like, it doesn't express speed, you know, or things like that. So if I want a lot of times what I do is I just start drawing the character into the book, into the rough versions of my pages, into the, into the thumbnails and I, and I just, thumb, I mean, I, I thumbnail each sequence about eight to 10 times.
0: Oh, geez, Louise. Wow. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. But I mean, I do them quickly. So like I i, I like I can do a 40 page sequence of thumbnails in like two hours, you know, maybe two hours. So, it, I mean, they look just like, it looks like chicken scratch, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's right. just enough, enough to get, I try to draw as, as, as uh, close to the speed of reading as I can. Right. Um, when I do the roughs. So that I, I'm, I'm sort of experiencing it, you know, and, and I'm just kind of recording this sketch of the scene. And then I'll usually s- just sit back and uh, I'll, I'll come back to it the next day to see if I, I have anything good there. And yeah. I do it again. And then I do it again. And I do it again. <laughs> and I do it again. Sometimes it gets worse. Sometimes it gets a little better. And there's some crinkles in every version that I think is fairly good. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, any one of those drafts is not good enough to be published in my mind. Mm -hmm. So after I've, um, you know, done it several times, at least three times, I'll sit and look at it and go, am I ready to get on stage? And that's, that's really what I I ask myself. I, I think in my mind is, am I ready for, for a stage rehearsal now, which is the pencils, you know? And if I, if I feel like I can see the scene really clearly because of all the different drafts, then I'll go ahead and say, this is the day. So then instead of doing thumbs, I will pencil. And a lot of times it doesn't work. Yeah. Sometimes it just doesn't work, you know, but if I, if I, if I was, if I calculated correctly, you know, it works and then I can go ahead and ink it. And if I have extra time, sometimes I'll just go ahead and scrap it. There have been times where I'd actually, you know, draw up to like 40, 50 pages inked and we're already coloring and we just scrapped the whole
1: thing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's gotta, that's wow. gotta, t- that's gotta be a big decision. That's gotta, it's gotta hurt a little bit, right?
2: Well, um, in book one, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I actually drew the whole thing, pretty much inked the whole thing. And it was an awful book and in the first draft and, um, it just doesn't work. know, anybody who read it would know like, uh, yeah, that's, it's okay. There's some good stuff in it. Cool concepts but it's not a, it wasn't a, 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 you know, well-rounded read, um. you know, did it twice. Second time, it's even worse, you know, and then third time it was just as bad, but you know, there was some good stuff in it. And then, um. you know, I, I, it, it was, um. you know, Jeff Smith who actually read it and, you know, he, he actually told me, um. Hey man, it's not bad. There's some good stuff in there, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's all I needed to hear. Cause, right. uh, I, I did agree with that. And he was honest that, it, you know, he didn't say it's good. He said, it's not bad. And, and, and that was enough for me to say, well, I don't need to scrap the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I took a, took little bits of the first three versions and then, um, took a look. Like I just laid them all out on the floor and I said, is there a book here? And I saw the book. And I said, you know what? I can make sequences between these sequences and it'll be a book. Yeah. So then I made a new book and that's that. And then that I accidentally fell into the process of making Amulet. <laughs> so I actually draw the whole book out a sequence. In fact, in Amulet eight, the, the first sequence in that book, I didn't even know what happens in that until the very, very end of the
0: production. And that's the, it was the last sequence I drew. Mm. Wow. And what, what do you gain from that? Does that is that add a sense of surprise? Is that what that is? I often try to leave the first sequence
2: open and, um, like under like unwritten and not drawn um, because I see it as a table setter. And if I don't know what meal I'm serving, I don't know how to set the table very well. You know what I mean?
0: Ah, That's an interesting way to look at that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Then again, there are some books like amulet seven and number one, where I knew what I had to start with. And I built the whole book around that first scene. So they were the key scenes. Like the first scene of amulet one has never changed. That was the very first thing I ever drew um and I, nothing nothing about that has changed um and in amulet 7 i was revisiting that first scene so i i that opening scene of amulet 7 um even though um i had drafted a whole bunch of other different versions of that open of of scenes in general uh, the opening scene of amulet 7 was one of the first things i drew for
0: that well, what I'm hearing here and in the, the, the story of your early career so far is that adaptability is, is kind of your hallmark. Like what, what the book needs is what you give it. And that's, that's really something to be respected.
2: It makes it more fun as well. I mean, that's something. It's, it, it's to take care of myself as well. I, I, can't, I don't want to go into a book knowing what I'm going to do. Because then it's like repaying this debt that I, I've collected, you know, that that <laughs> I had like there's I, that I owed the book, the story, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think I, I hear that in the voice of a lot of writers when they're writing. I just think that they're they're stressed out about making their book because they feel they they owe it to the book to make it better, you know. And I try not to be in that position,
1: right. So Kazu, one quick while we're on this topic, I know a lot of our listeners uh, are, are going to be interested in this, and uh, this is something that Dave and I don't have a lot of experience with, and that is working with a publisher. How would you suggest someone go about trying to submit work to a publisher for consideration?
2: I mean, this is it's it's a this, it's difficult because it really depends on where the market's at, mm-hmm. uh, when you go, when you go in, and discuss, uh, things with, uh, your agent, first off, have an agent. Oh,
1: that now see that, that, <laughs> that would not have been my first guess. So you're saying oh, really? the first thing you really need is an agent. Absolutely. And why is that?
2: It's for everyone's sake. You want to enter into discussion where both, um, both parties are, um, Ready to negotiate a very a professional deal in a proper setting mm-hmm. where you don't over over promise you know what I mean it, it doesn't get awkward yeah your publisher will be able to i mean your your agent will be able to protect you but also protect the publisher as well and um, most people in the publishing industry know that that's the protocol. You know, so when you talk to an editor and they say, and you you talk to them and say, you know, I have this project, I think it's interesting. And they're like, oh, you know, that I, I, that sounds like something I'd like to, to publish. And for the most part, they'll, you know, if they don't know you, you know, they'll just say, so who, who's your agent? And then you'll want to give them your agent's name and then they'll say, okay, that's it. That's all, that's all I need. And then, then the discussions begin.
1: And if you're, you're saying that if I don't have an agent at that point, maybe they're not going to take me very seriously. What What happens if you don't have an agent?
2: Yeah, so some publishers will take on people with no agents, you know, especially in graphic novels, because I don't think most people know to have one. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, uh, you you will you will most likely have a contract that you will regret. And how did you find your agent? Through Scott McCloud. So I was very fortunate. Oh, is that right? I just I just contact. Yeah, I was already. I didn't uh, with Daisy Cutter. I didn't have an agent. I just worked on my own. However, prior to that, I was working in the film industry. I had an agent. In film, I, I I was trained to pitch um, by um, a, a lawyer at CAA, so I had, I had very different <laughs> I had a very different background coming into comics. So I, so I did negotiate um, a, an okay deal for myself on on Daisy Cutter, mm-hmm. but um, you know with the next book I knew I would have to have a professional involved. Yeah, despite the fact that I could I could possibly negotiate myself, I contacted Scott McLeod, and he just basically said. Uh, when, when Scholastic came to me and said, we'd like to do a book with you. And I said, okay, well, I do have a book in mind. And then they said, okay, well, um, I I don't know if they asked if, if I had an agent or if, um, I I forgot what happened. I think, I think I just went out and reached out out to Scott McLeod and I just said, Scott, what do I, what do I do in this situation? He said, don't do anything (laughs) until you call Judy. (laughs) (laughs) And my agent is uh, Judy Hanson, who is, is just the best there's not much what can i say i mean i mean she essentially invented the graphic novel wow (laughs) i I, I, if there was somebody i could credit for the invention of the graphic novel it would be her really you know and she she represents yeah uh she she represents will eisner Mm -hmm. and um you know and scott and Raina, me wow you know ben hacky gene yang robert crumb
0: so a bunch a bunch of nobodies is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing a bunch of, I'm hearing a big list of nobodies. But I mean a lot of
2: um a lot of why graphic novels are what they are today is because she it's it's because she's been working on creating this platform for years, you know? Wow. Since since the eighties.
0: Right, right. Well, even even uh even this, though this is a bit of an assertion, one one resource I would like to share with people is that there's a cartoonist by the name of Nikki Smith, N-I-K-I. And she maintains a big list of uh, literary agents who represent graphic novels. And it's now up to 88 agencies. So uh, do wow. a quick Google search and we'll have the link over on Comic Lab. Uh, you can look for NIKI Smith. Um, and if you just search for agents and, you know, graphic novels and cartooning, uh, you'll find her list of 88 agencies that represent uh, cartoonists. But that might be of some help to some people. Yeah, right
2: now there's, there are a lot of publishers who want to get into the graphic novel thing. Um, so it would be a good time. Uh, to to reach out,
0: yeah, that YA uh, audience is exploding in publishing. Uh, just as a just as a dad watching that happen, it's fantastic. It's so yeah. delightful to see.
1: Well, just in our lifetimes, I mean, in in the time that my kids went to school, and my my older son is sixteen years old now and a sophomore in high school. Right, it, we've gone through. They're not allowed to read comics and graphic novels in school because that wasn't serious to this year being assigned graphic novels uh, in, uh, like Gene's oh, yeah. Jean, like book, uh, American Born Chinese, was, a, was on the summer reading list for my younger son at, at, as an assignment. You know, so we've gone in just that span of time from they're not, they just starting to be taken seriously to now they're part of the curriculum. And that's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, when we were growing up, the collectively, the three of us, you kind of had, you had Tintin, you had Babar, you had, uh, you know, it was like Babar. a weird collection of like 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> kind of semi-racist comics where you're like, I don't know that I should be reading this. Um, and and uh, now it's just, I'm so happy as a dad, what I can find at the library, at the bookstore, just casually, like not even hunting. I'm as a cartoonist I'm like, I did not know this book existed and this is an amazing book. I feel like we're just in, a, in an explosion of... of uh it's like you know those uh, it's not the Paleozoic, but there's certain ages where life just exploded, yeah and I feel like that's where we are with comics, where it's just an explosion of creativity and, and the market is finding value there, and books are selling and it's frankly it's an amazing time to be a cartoonist in that in that format.
1: Yes, it is so now listen, Dave, we've come to the part of the show that I'd love to see, especially since there's three of us here, uh, we take questions from our five dollar level patreon backers and uh I, I I've got a couple that uh, uh that we've pulled here that uh I think I particularly want to hear Kazu's uh, uh responses to. Sure yeah. Do you want to take it. some questions? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So here's one. Uh how much impact do readers' comments and feedback have on your writing? Great cool. question. Yeah. Um it's huge. In the case of
2: uh Amulet Seven? Mm-hmm. I was, um, I was drawing, um, this epic action sequence where, um, one of my characters is escaping from this, uh, this pirate prison. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, um, Jason was actually totally in love with the sequence cause he was so excited to draw it and it read well and everything, but I just felt like we, we shouldn't spend 20, 30 pages with a side character. At the time, I knew something in the back of my mind wasn't working. Um, You know, uh, uh, something about the sequence wasn't working for me, so I um, I I just kept revising it. Um, I went to do a book signing at uh, Books of Wonder in Manhattan, Um, and a little girl asked me what happened at the end of Amulet Five. I mean, I had just finished Amulet Six, and we were just—I was out on the road to promote Six. And I thought, wow, that is a really good question. I never really, <laughs> like, I never really firmly answered that um, in the series. So I decided to go back and do that. And all of Amulet 7 became an answer to the question that she asked. Wow.
0: Wow. Thanks, Susie. That was a great <laughs> question.
2: Yeah. So I, I so I actually, I, I, changed, I basically scrapped that 30-page sequence and I made a whole new book. Wow. And then uh, I think somebody asked me an, another good question. Uh, about Amulet 8, before, while I was working on that, somebody in the audience asked me a question, uh, asked me the question, what happened to Trellis' mom? And that was crazy because I had just prior to that event, maybe about a week prior, I had decided to answer that question in the opening sequence. So even though that question didn't spur the scene, mm-hmm. it, it did tell me that I was on the
1: right track <laughs> as far yeah, as what my yeah. readers are probably thinking. It was an indication that that needed to be answered.
2: Yeah, yeah. Their their questions are are I mean, they're they're the they're the end user, you know? It's mm-hmm. these are the readers. These are you know, this is this is the customer. Um I'd I'd like to hear what they think.
0: Yeah. Well, Brad, let me turn that question to you. Do you respond to reader comments, input, thoughts?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, you have to, especially in the zone that we find ourselves into as self-publishers when you're doing crowdfunding and that sort of thing. Uh, it, being responsive uh, to the people who are supporting you at that level becomes really, really important. In fact, on my Patreon, I just uh, opened up a, uh, a, a a weekly Ask Me Anything type column where I uh, where I'm I'm going out and and approaching patrons and saying, "Okay, what what do you want to know? What things are on your mind?" you know, and, and I find uh, that not only is that good in terms of retention and stuff like that, but it keeps me on my toes because sometimes, and I'm sure you both have uh, dealt with this, they ask you a question and then it hits you like a brick where you go, "Oh yeah, I <laughs> you know, I I've got to I've got to put a lot of thought into this. Maybe it was a throwaway kind of thing." And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I've got to think about how that works in the world that I've built. Uh, and maybe I didn't do such a good job of that uh, in the first swing. So, yeah, it's it's it there's a lot of that, that it, it's good to be kept on your toes by that sort of thing. What what about you, Dave?
0: Well, I uh, much like I assume happens with both of you, I, I never compromise the central vision of what I want to create. You know what I mean? Like if all the readers said like, we want to see so-and-so die in the story, but that's not what I want to do. That's not what the story wants to go. Yeah. I'm not going to compromise that, but the way I equate it is kind of like, uh, you know, in the past I did stand up and I did sketch comedy and you're kind of swimming in laughter or the lack of laughter Mm -hmm. and you adjust your performance. If people are really loving a moment and you as a performer loving a moment, why fight that why would you ever want to fight that enjoy yeah. that swim in that uh <laughs> revel in that moment if it benefits the overall story then go with it it's amazing um at the same time if you are putting out what you think is gold and you're getting back silence at it you know either as an artist you're you're not hitting the mark or something about the story itself is not hitting the mark so i yeah. i absolutely uh do a little dance um not a dance, but it's like you adjust your footing on on how you're telling the story based on how people are reacting to it. And I think only in the best possible way. Like, we all three of us know to discount there are always the outlier crazies or the outlier, uh, you know, people that are like, what if everybody was blue in the story? Like, all right, great. Thanks for the comment. All right. Good seeing you at the next signing.
1: Um, uh, and then, it's the but, blue guy again. Hey, honey, I'm getting the comment from the blue guy again. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we all we all have that one reader that's it has got the
0: crazy idea. What I'm saying is as long as it fits within the world and and still is central to your vision for what your story wants to be. I think it's only natural to respond and react to how readers are are uh feeling about it. Um yeah. and, and when it's when it's good, it it helps you as an artist. It, and also to to bring back to the one of the earlier things, it's it's part of the central joy of being an artist is you want to communicate to these people. You we are storytellers. And so to be getting a reaction that's joy filled only increases our joy as an artist and makes us want to do more of what we do. So that's the way I feel about it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, let me ask you both a different question. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is also from a listener of the show, uh, and this is kind of a fun one, Kazu. so I'll ask you first. Mm-hmm. So what skills have you painstakingly developed or agonized over that time or technology have now rendered completely useless? Oh, and mm-hmm. read the
1: rest of that question, Dave, because okay. this is crucial.
0: And, okay. and <laughs> do you wish you had that time back now?
1: Yeah, that's that. That's the clincher mm-hmm. for me on that question. Um.
2: I, I don't know. I, I think everything's been useful. I, I, I can't, I can't think of a useless skill. Um, cause you never know, you, you never know when you'll need it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and when you're a comic artist, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're kind of a, a generalist, right? So you have to do so many different things. So having all these varied skills has, has been a strength rather than a weakness. You know, I often think of just how much sports has helped me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just in mm-hmm. general. Like, you know, my, have, being physically fit as a cartoonist is, is so important. Something that I, I try to talk about as much as I can, because that's the one thing that uh, I think it gets glossed over is everyone thinks they're just sitting there and it's that it's not physically straining. Um, but it is. And and, and, and you, if you hurt yourself, you won't be able to draw.
1: Right. Yeah. If you're right. not taking good care of your body, you're not going to be able to do that for for very long. Even Even the act of sitting in a chair.
2: Right. And, and with my sports, I always try to, or with my exercise, I always try to combine it with, um, with strategy, you know, um, where I'm playing basketball or I'm, I'm going out on a mountain bike and I'm, I'm having to strategically move down the mountain and choose the right line so I don't get hurt Mm -hmm. or I can go faster. Um, these things help me when I go to work on the book and I, I just apply that type of thinking to my work. Yeah. And, um, And so I always find ways to, to have it help me. I, in fact, I'd been mountain biking so much and I studied so much about biking. It it found its way into Amulet 8. And so I ended up having to design my own bikes in there. I I wanted, I wanted people to want to ride bikes, reading Amulet in the way that I wanted to get on a bike when I was watching Mm ET,
0: you
2: know? So, um, yeah, so that, that found its way in there. So you never know what's going to help you out. If I was learning about cooking, I'm sure it would find its way in there. Was mm-hmm. anything.
0: Yeah. The nice thing about working as an artist for years and years and years is that your central idea there, the idea that there's nothing wasted, there's no experience wasted has been proven true again and again and again in my own career, because like any job that I had in the past, like when I would clean a uh, doctor's offices in college to work my way through college and stuff, it's like, that is not wasted because that moment of drudgery Mm -hmm. Now I know how to write that moment of drudgery in my comics. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That life experience is, (laughs) is something I can draw on. Uh, the, the excitement of, of like Kazu playing sports and, and how those moments, the big moments, the practices that lead up to it, the game days, the, the post game recaps that can inform my, my writing. You will use every life experience you have eventually if you cartoon (laughs) long enough, uh, (laughs) because only because you need the material, um, But I will say the one thing that I have worked on that feels wasted looking back on it (laughs) is learning and mastering computer interfaces that are no longer at all in existence. So like book layouts, like Adobe PageMaker, or um, I'm trying to think of the one that I used before that Quark Express, I guess. Like, oh mm, yeah, Quark. What a bunch of wasted time now that is looking back. I mean, I needed it at the time, so I guess it wasn't wasted. But boy, I just wish we could all settle on an interface and just
1: leave it at that. Well, Quark, <laughs> Quark led directly into InDesign. So yeah, that wasn't even a waste yeah. waste. But I do I do see what you are are saying in terms of that. But two things, it, it, I was listening, Dave, to last week's show and uh, driving into the studio, and you were talking about being up, uh, uh, working on a comic until two o'clock in the morning because uh, family and professional life dictated that that's what needed to happen that day. Right. And that's when, I, knowing you as I do, that experience of cleaning doctor's offices Comes right in handy because as you're going into the uh, into the two o'clock hour, and you really maybe would rather just say screw it all and go to bed. Uh, there's a thing that goes off in the back of your head and says, "Well, listen, <laughs> you know, you could always be back scrubbing doctors' offices." You know, there's, <laughs> yeah, true. this this certainly seems like uh, drudgery, but it ain't. And like, and for me, it was working in the factory with my dad, uh, Summers, while I was going to college, and he did that on purpose. Uh, you know, there was there was there was mm-hmm. no internship in Spain, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> where I would uh, you know do all. It was uh, you're going to work in the factory with me uh, and get metal shavings under your fingernails and 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 show up at five o 'clock every morning and and that 's and and work in a in in an un air conditioned uh barn basically uh, with machines running, and where were you that... working? 1840? Oh, oh my! Well, <laughs> my it, this uh, dude, I told you here in county, everything came about ten years late to uh, here in cl- county, including Apparently, OSHA. The, the internal
0: combustion <laughs> engine also came late.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but no, but but listen, at the end of that three months of summer, I went back to college ready to learn because there was because that my dad would say every week, you you don't do well at college. This is your future. This is what you got to uh, look forward do. So get in there and study Toon mm-hmm. boy, you know, <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, <laughs> do yeah. what you got to do. Uh, but yeah, that's that that is instructive uh, it, to that. And plus, the, you guys both hit it right on the head. There's not a thing that you learn that is wasted time. I wouldn't I, I, I did a lot of hand lettering for a couple of years on my strip. And I do digital lettering now. But all that stuff that I learned doing hand lettering, all that typography, all of that uh, design that goes into characters and, and, and spacing and leading and kerning, all of that stuff I learned through doing it by hand makes my digital lettering so much better because I can I can go in and control that at a much finer level uh, than I would have if I would have uh, spent the time uh learning hand lettering if I would have considered mm. that to be a waste uh, that it it absolutely informs your later work so there's nothing don't 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 look at this as a, a learning something new might be wasted there's uh, learning something new is never a waste yeah I, I agree with that
0: well, let me ask a, a fun one to sort of end off the, the day for us. And we can we can each tackle this one as we want, but I'll ask it a closer first. So what in your drawing in, in the creation of a book, you can either do it in the big picture of creation of the book or in your day to day cartooning. What is the best part of your day and what is the part you look forward to least work wise, not family wise, not business wise, but work wise? What is the favorite part of the day? And what is the least favorite part of the day? Well, the least fit, my least favorite
2: part of the process is starting. Yeah.
0: Ooh. Okay.
2: And my favorite part of the process is when I figured something out and I think that's it. Um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the full, that's the full range, isn't it? Um, everything in the middle, I don't know. It's, I don't. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, that's, that's it.
0: But the spark, the spark for you when it clicks into place, that's when it's all, that's the best moment. Yeah. Okay. So every time I make a book, um,
2: you know, I I know that there's, there's inductive and deductive reasoning going on, right? So you set up the problem and then you got to solve the problem. Solving the problem is actually fun. That's, that's easy. Like uh, when I, when I do, um, contract work for somebody, Most of that is deductive, right? Because they give me an assignment. I know what I'm doing and I sit down and I just try to articulate a solution. Now, when it's my book, I have to create the problem. I have to design a problem that will be solved in such a manner that a reader will learn something from it. And that's really hard. Trying to figure out what that problem is that I have to design is, you know, it it can, it takes forever. And, and I I think I enjoy the process of learning things to create that problem, but I don't like it when I'm on the clock doing that (laughs) because, because I have to, I don't know where it's coming from. I'm fishing, you know, I'm I'm out there just, just looking for this thing. And, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't tell the fish to just jump on the hook. (laughs) (laughs) so. Yeah. So that that part, just the the pressure that I would get is the hard part is trying to, you know, that's the political side of it, right? Like, I have to tell people, yeah, I'll get it done. Yeah, it'll be this. This will come in. But but nobody, but nobody can like truly answer, like how much time that particular part takes the inductive reasoning. But yeah. if someone told me, here's the problem, I know exactly how long it takes to solve it.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. there's no better way to put that. I mean, it's it, there, it, the, the most daunting thing in the world is nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing is daunting. Once you've got something, you can solve the problem. Now, you've mm-hmm. yet because you've got something, you know what the thing is. But when you're staring at that blank page and nothing is facing back at you, oh, that's the worst. Mm hmm. Yeah, it
0: I, I got to tell you, though, I'm, I'm thankful of you using the terminology of inductive and deductive reasoning, because I had not thought to think of it that way. And that is a clever way of looking at it. So doff of the cap to you from Los Angeles, Kazu. I appreciate that. Nice
1: work there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, it is my glad duty to tell you that you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics.
0: You're a wonderful guest this week, and if you have kids in your life, if you're an adult in your life, that you are, like to feel joy and excitement and passion and adventure, you've got to go check out his work. Kazu Kibuishi, um, the best place, com. check him out, but also in libraries and bookstores everywhere. Um, you can look for the entire nine-book series now, right? Or is it on eight books now?
2: Um, the eighth book comes out uh, next week, and... Um, oh, exciting. Nine
0: is the final... It, it, it finishes in nine, right? Is that why my brain fin- sees on uh, nine? Yeah,
2: it, it- We'll finish at 9, um, and I have other books uh, that I've been developing, so I'm, I'm not going to quit. Good. woo
0: yeah. no, My My kids just got super excited at that phrase. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, if you have not treated yourself to go back and read the, the flight anthologies, please go do it. There's some amazing work in there that has you both edited and uh, created in there, and uh, I highly recommend it. But your hosts have also been Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc., at Evil-Comic.com
1: And Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com
0: And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at TheWorldRecord.net and this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions at www.woodsong.media
1: Comic Lab is made possible by your support at Patreon.com slash Comic Lab so we'll go ahead and say that twice patreon.com slash comic lab.